Hi folks, I am Alan Watson. This is Cutting Through the Matrix on November the 8th, 2015. Many moons ago, I was on a talk show where the host said to me, he says, you you know, you're, you're a bit of a pessimist when it comes to the future. And he was talking about the whole, you know, agenda and things like that. The things, the things that the average person might know to some extent. And uh, I, I didn't really become fussed up about it because I've had the same remarks from many people over years, even from childhood, when you point things out to them, it's outside their ken, at least the scope of the topics they're on about. And, uh, and you have to accept they don't know as much as you do. Uh, but uh, I could have gone ahead and, and uh, re- refuted his comment and so on, but I didn't bother. It wasn't worth it because he had a lot to learn and still has. But the reason that, uh, that some people might think that is that I'm not into entertaining you, you see. I never came out to entertain the public because what's happening is a massive revolution. And most revolutions, I've said many times, are bloodless or fairly bloodless. They're cultural and they're social and so on. And they change the face of uh, countries and nations and what they stand for one uh, decade might change totally into the opposite the next decade, depending on the amount of scientific indoctrination from every source possible of communication, television and so on. And fiction as well. Lots of fiction is awfully important, and, and as I've said many times. But uh, it's not pessimistic to understand things whatsoever. In fact, but the thing is, the trick is not to let yourself become uh, downtrodden about it. Most folk do, they'll crash if they understand the scope, the, the, the massive scope of what's really happening and has been happening before they were born, in fact. It, it would crash them to understand that, that everything you believed in or was drummed into you to believe through your education and upbringing and all the rest of it is bogus. You don't have a democracy. You never had a democracy. And the same tycoons and their offsprings and so on, for an awful long time, folks, I mean an awful long time, who own the big corporations and all the rest of it and the controlling shares and interests and things too, have been working behind the scenes continuing a strategy, a war strategy upon the whole world uh, to bring in the system where they themselves at the top, under disguise, of course, they're always disguised, will claim that they're big philanthropists. And I'm going to talk about that tonight to, to an extent, just touch on it because you can't get a lot in in an hour as far as a lecture goes. So what I'm going to talk about really is some of the, the the ones which are visible to you today. There's there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these big foundations across the planet, but you'll find they're all connected, and you can't get the average population, even even a section of the average population in countries, to come into a massive hall and uh, give them a talk on something and have them agree on what should be done, if anything at all. But when you have an agenda, an agenda is an agenda because people who apparently are separate and massive magnets, powerful, rich, and, and so on, uh, they, when they get together 
or at least when they appear separately, I should say, that's the better way of putting it, with their own foundations, but they're all on board with one agenda, which encapsulates everything from your way of living to what you're going to believe and what you already do believe, in fact, because that's how, who gave it to you, and how you're going to be indoctrinated, and plus, uh, the, the broader, as I've said so many times, all of academia, you'll be under academia's indoctrination for an awful long time, and they're on, on board with it because they get big grants from the foundations and the movers and shakers, and even the ones who are outside the, the, the public realm. It's quite easy to buy them off, the guys at the top, to make sure they put the same curriculums in, to ensure that everyone is given the same standardized indoctrination of what's politically correct and what isn't, etc. So you're going through a massive revolution, and you see, the reason that talk show host thought was a pessimist was because he thought it was simply a matter of getting the right folk to vote for the right person, all that, all that rubbish. And I knew better, you see. I knew this, uh, that politics really is a sideline, is a sideshow, you might say, of controlling the public, making you think you've got to say in things, but you don't. In fact, again, the big philanthropists and the big businesses they own, they have full-time, uh, almost uh, equivalent to the, the government size, uh, lobbyists lobbying for certain things to get passed through law which affect all of you, including their indoctrinations. So, don't get disheartened when you meet people who think they know it all, but they don't really know very little. And what they do know is often taken straight from you, in fact, later on. Uh, but they'll never admit it. That's quite something, too. But that's the way things are today. We're run by a war cabinet, I'd say. And these different philanthropists are not unrelated to each other. They're related in many ways, many ways, folks. As I say, when you, they're on board with the whole United Nations agenda, and I've gone into the history so many times of the United Nations and who set it up. And it's one group that set it up, based in London at the time. And uh, before that, uh, the, the League of Nations is set up, the Bank for International Settlements, the World Bank, the World Trading Organization, all these organizations you hear about, the World Court, all these things were set up by the same, same cabal for total control of the world and all of its resources. And remember, uh, if you've got the patience at all, go into cuttingthroughmatrix.com and listen to the thousands and thousands of, of talks I've given over many years on the strategy of this war cabinet, you might say. And I mean total war. I, I'm not uh, giving you a simple analogy here. I mean total war on the public. When you're not allowed to have a mind of your own and come to your own conclusions by using your free mind, then obviously your mind is not free at all. And yet, uh, through many techniques and shunning and all the rest of it, and peer shunning and so on, and shaming, uh, they've been brainwashing children for an awful long time through the school system. And now it's outside of the school system. And people watch their P's and Q's wherever they happen to be. Which is ridiculous, because everyone should say what they actually think. It's only we. I mean, you can imagine in the past, it was quite easy with standardized war 
to see there's an, an army over there that want to invade us. Let's prepare to meet them and fend them off. It was quite straightforward. But when you have a war that's been declared upon you quite silently, in fact, and always denied, <laughs> always denied, it's always for the greater good, you know, and um, then it's much, much more difficult to spot for the average person who only sees the, the fallout from the agenda, but not the cause behind it and where they want to go with it all. We are little blips of time, just passing through time. Our lifespans are short, and therefore you know very little when you die. You might know what you think is quite a lot as to when you started, but it's still a very little, because the generations that went before you Within them too, with all their worrying and scurrying and working and all the rest of it, trying to live and survive, they didn't have time either, most of them, to to delve into the, the causes of things. And sometimes they come out with erroneous causes, simply because they didn't have all the facts. Facts are very difficult to get, and um, they're getting more scarce today because of, the, again, the scientific control of all information, the Rewriting of histories, for instance, it goes on all the time, has been going on again all your life, until whole sections of history are completely altered or omitted from history books. And that's all by design as well. People don't think about that or why this happens, but it's coordinated again from a big cabal at the top who coordinates these things intergenerationally. When you go into, for instance, the League of Nations, I mentioned it before that the Communist Manifesto and the Communist, or I should say the Communist Party in the Soviet Union had different plans to achieve with time dates on them. Five-year plans for one thing, ten from their sometimes 50 and even a hundred-year plans. Well, most folk won't live till a hundred. So why do you think these plans can, can continue to be uh, pushed ahead, you see? When one generation's dead, and it, there's still something pushing it ahead, and in control of it all to make sure that it doesn't go off track. And that's because the big foundations, which are fronts in themselves, the philanthropic organizations, can last as long as they want them to last for 300 years or more. And generations work for them, and implement their planning and monitor them and so on, tweak them where it's not working so well to make sure it does work and they retire within working for these uh, these organizations and the next group take over, hire, dive, hire, die and, and nothing ever comes to a standstill, there's no lapse in anything and they can start off with specialized goals for one foundation, for instance, and achieve it 100, 150, two years later. Because people are working full-time all that time to make sure they achieve the part of the goals that they were founded to do. But as I say, how come all these philanthropic organizations have exactly the same political correct uh, views on everything and the same implementation of all these particular views? Nobody differs. They're on board completely with it, Nobody differs. In fact, to belong to the United Nations, which is a front group organization, uh, to be accepted by them, you must accept all of the diktats of the, of the United Nations themselves, which are utterly radical, but 
they're no different from all the philanthropic organisations which are on board with the same radical agendas. Right down to altering uh, what was a man or a woman and so on. That's all part of it too. Which tells you, uh, as they would do, tell you in a court of law after, uh, after you do your, your, your uh, interrogation of the accused, the preponderance of evidence brings you to your judgment, you see. That's what you have. And when you have them all agreeing on the same goals, these foundations, that's not normal. It isn't normal. It simply isn't normal. Get ten people from your local area to discuss highways, for instance, in your in your area, and what should be done to improve or whatever them, and you won't get any of them. You, you get, you know, hardly any of them will agree with each other. So the preponderance of evidence with philanthropic organizations when they all agree with the same agenda. And the agenda is completely radical, changing everything in life and the way you're going to live. Then it means this coordinating body of them at the top from one group. It can mean nothing else, nothing else at all. And that body does exist. The evidence for this can be seen pretty well every day if you really had time to go through so much information or what they give out today as information. You would find that this coordinating body had their fingers in every single pie that affect you and what you eat, how you behave, what you're going to think, or your PC, your political correct indoctrination. Uh, they made you, to an extent, what you are. And you'll become that because of peer pressure, because your peer group are not in need too, and everyone eventually accepts the indoctrinated role which is laid out for you to play. Uh, very few folk can stay by their opinions and, and be, possibly be ostracized by the crowd, you might say. So psychology, behaviorism, neuroscience, all these different areas and, and sections now, many, many sections to do with uh, studying us are all in play and working full time for the big foundations and their think tanks across the world and have been for a long time. Now here's one topic, for instance, that gives you a clue to things. I'll read a little bit of it first and then explain it to you. You understand if you don't really know the agenda, you won't pick up on things to explain to you. It's done so cleverly and it's so common as well. To save money, states in the U.S. give up on repairing some rural roads. But say, oh, well, you know, it's another topic. When it comes to road building, Iowa has big ambitions. The state's largest city, Des Moines, is spending millions to repair or replace four downtown bridges. Planners also want to broaden the last section of U.S. Highway 20 into four lanes spanning the entire state. But amid the orange traffic cones and construction signs, something surprising is happening to Iowa's transportation system. It's actually getting smaller as state and county agencies quietly give up on maintaining many rural roads and bridges to spend on bigger, more essential projects in busier areas. The same pattern is playing out across the country. 
evoking growing fears in rural areas and elsewhere that the trade-off could make it even harder to eke out a living in many places where opportunity is already limited. And then to give you the, the reason, oh, there's only so much money, so you need to prioritize, says David Carroll, engineer for Warren County, and so on. Now farmers have to drive miles out of their way to reach their fields, and once simple errands have become cumbersome cross-country trips. In Louisiana, college students persist in using a closed bridge to get to campus despite warnings that it could collapse. Rural communities complain they're being shortchanged in favor of cities. Starting to dawn on you, is it? During the last five years, Warren County has permanently closed 20 bridges over small streams with more likely to come. Current budgets can't possibly pay to maintain every road or bridge built over the last six decades, according to transportation officials. Does that mean the system is going to shrink? Yes, said Paul Trombino, head of Iowa Department of Transportation and president of the American Association of State Highway and Transportation Officials. Now, the county which is about 50,000 people, relies on farming for much of its economy. If farmers can't haul equipment to their fields or harvest crops to market, they can't make a living. Well, obviously. The boys that put this in effect know all this. Because this is part, only a small little part, little symptom of Agenda 21, the actual Millennium Project. And... The one that was just re-signed again for the next 15 years with their goals that would be achieved in the next 15 years. The big cities are taking over, you see. Now, again, everything in alternative media often bashes away the politicians like they can do everything. If politics worked, folks, it would be illegal to vote or run for that matter. And politicians themselves, even though they're all, <laughs> they have higher masters than the general public, and they're quite willing to, to go in there, do a little bit, and, and uh, strange enough, they, they come out with an awful lot of money, way more than they'd ever had with their salary in their particular positions. But that doesn't matter, you see, because um, people they still harp on about politicians. Now, politicians, even though they're always been known to be, let's just say, corruptible, eh? but be kind here, um, are still technically they have to put a show on for the public uh, to get elected, and and they want each one wants to get on in their career and make lots of cash. That's what they're there for, and get more power and all the rest of it. And as long as they have this damn nuisance of being responsible to, to any public, they have to uh, at least go along with certain things to some extent or other. So all the extent they go along with things for the general public is, is less and less and less, as you well know. But uh, that means you must get things done in, a, in a, an alternate way, where you can get it done without the people being, uh, who, who are pushing it all responsible to the public. Now, one of these organizations, uh, one of the many of them, uh, is to do with, um, for instance, mayors. Your mayor, you know. mayor. A mayor's job at one time in most places wasn't that hyper-important. 
they again were in it to, to suit themselves and to get the money. I mean, when you think of how much money gets dished out for just maintaining your little town or village or wherever it happens to be, uh, and how much taxes are paid into it, and they never ever declare how much comes in and give you a breakdown of anything. But uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, a lucrative position, put it that way. But when you have an agenda that's pushing the elimination of all rural areas and, and wanting you all to go into the cities and towns, because if any farming to be done is going to be done in other countries for you, and you'll be, you'll be importing it all, or else um, you'll, you'll have the, nothing but the big agri-farm businesses, the big corporate businesses that run the, the, the farms have taken over, like they have done in lots of countries, including in India, for instance. But, for instance, we have the, this article here, as I say. The world is urbanizing rapidly, and cities are more important than ever. This is a TED Talk. As political theorist Benjamin Barber states in his recent TED Talk, cities are not only the oldest of institutions, they're the most enduring. Frankly, they're where things get done. They're also arguably more democratic and less prone to the political stagnation. So democracy and, and so on, uh, and, and politicians, at least put in the pretense of, of being responsible to the public, is a, f- a form of stagnation, you see. It holds things back. All these folk complaining about things, they don't want this done, don't want that done. See. That often hampers national governments. While big governments drag their feet on issues such as climate change, is your PC thing again, cities are skipping ahead. For these reasons, the men and women leading these cities, the mayors, are essential to the world's prosperity. And here you go. See, these are all buzz terms that are all from the one group, you see. Uh, you've got climate change, you've got prosperity, peace and prosperity through you know, free trade and all that. Are essentials to the world's prosperity and sustainability. Now, the, that's the thing, well, I'm talking about the roads too, you see. The, the thing now is to say in rural areas, well, it's not sustainable. What do you think it's all about, folks? Where, do you, where have you heard that term before? Upkeep of your roads and so on. It's not sustainable. So, big governments drag their feet on issues such as climate change and, and skipping ahead in the cities, of course. Within their municipalities, mayors are fixing sewer lines. Really, I'd like to see a mayor fixing it, uh, apart from the books. Making sure the trains run on time, developing new communities, creating jobs, and much more. Did you know that's, that's where it all comes from? Did you know that? And much more while trying to do so with fewer and fewer resources. If mayors are becoming the emergent global power, as Barber proposes, like, like he's just discovered it, supposedly it's Barber? No, 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 no. Then it's important to understand how they are organizing themselves. No, it's who's organizing them is rather than themselves getting organized. Citizens should be asking questions like, what structures are they using to convene and share ideas to help cities run better? Who attends, sponsors, and otherwise influences these gatherings beside mayors? And how might citizens be heard in such forums? Here are six organizations that bring mayors together from around the world. And here's one of them, C40, the C40 Cities Climate Leadership Group. These are things, again, see, the things that really rule your lives, you've never heard of before. Because they don't want you to really hear about them and look into them. 
It says, as, as innovators and practitioners, our cities are at the forefront of the issue, arguably the greatest challenge of our time, said former mayor of New York City and current president of the C40 Cities Climate Leadership Group Board of Directors, Michael Bloomberg. It creates a forum for cities to collaborate and take action on climate change. Here you go, climate change. Now, climates always change, folks. They change it from global warming when, when the warming wouldn't cooperate with them. And now they call it climate change, because again, you are going to get turned into utter serfdom by this whole global climate change agenda. It's an agenda, folks. It's the excuse that they, they hit on and, and stayed with. This is founded in 2005 by former London Mayor uh, Ken Livingston. The sea fort has grown with the help of seven, several partnerships, a steering committee, made up of mayors from around the world, a team of professionals, and an elected chair. Now, where is the public's input in all of this? The public are ignorant of all. It says the C40 consists of 58 cities and hosts various events and publishes numerous reports throughout the year. Number two, the City Mayors Foundation. City Mayors Foundation is an international think tank consisting of professionals from around the world that develop sustainable solutions to urban affairs. The foundation advises on such issues as governance, education, and planning, amongst others. On the website, you can find various events categorized based on, or categories based on areas of interest that provide excellent networking opportunities for mayors. Every other year, the foundation organizes the World Mayor Projects and awards the World Mayor Prize. It used to be interesting to, to hear one of the terms that they put out there. Slogans, you know. Remember Lenin said it too, that we shall win by slogans. But uh, you had the term, uh, think global, act local. And they would reverse it sometimes too and say, think local, act global. It's all one and the same thing. And it says the Covenant of Mayors. The Covenant of Mayors is a primary network for local and regional European authorities. The Covenant was launched in 2008 after the adoption of the, the EU Climate and Energy Package <laughs> with the goal of supporting the implementation of local energy policies. It's comprised of over 5,000 signatories which represent cities of all sizes committed to meeting the European Union's 20% CO2 reduction goal by 2020. The strategies used to achieve this plan are outlined in the Sustainable Energy Action Plan. And you thought it was just politicians that were having world meetings, oh, you know, and, and they're always kind of vague about it afterwards. And, no, no, it's all being carried on ahead by other means, folks. Number four, World Mayor's Council on Climate Change. It advocates for engagement of local governments in their efforts to address climate change. Well, they've drafted their, their, their so-called um, freebie, uh, ex-civil servant, uh, uh, sudden environmentalist types onto their, onto their councils. You never voted them on. And I think now they get paid for it now. But the start, it was free. You know, well, let's advise you on you know, on sustainability. Anyway, so the advocate engagement of local governments in efforts to address climate change and global sustainability. 
There are over 80 members in the council, consisting of mayors, former mayors, councillors and former governors. Did you let any of these guys in to run your whole world, folks? Democracy, eh? They received support from the, and here's a big one I've mentioned, I've been talks again, go to cuttingthroughmates.com and you'll find my talks on the ICLEI. That's local governments for sustainability to help achieve their goals. Marcelo Ibar, chair of the council and mayor of Mexico City, says their mission best with this statement. We have to tell the international community that in the cities where the battle is slow, global warming, uh, to slow it down will be won, he says. The United States Conference of Mayors, that's number five, is the official non-partisan organization of cities with populations of 30,000 or more in the U.S. It says today there are 1,398 such cities, each represented in the conference by its mayor. When taking action on a specific issue, the president of the conference forms a task force with a select group of mayors who provide recommendations on policies to the organization. When their mission is complete, a standing committee will monitor the issue. The conference holds two primary gatherings a year, those being the winter meeting and the annual meeting. Number six, United Cities and Local Governments. This is, the, this is, uh, is headquartered in Barcelona. Brings local governments from around the world, around the world, folks. Uh, and they've got their junkets out there and you pay for it all. Of course, that's what you vote them in for, is that right, yeah? to encourage cooperation and bring their influence to a global scale. The organization is structured through a multiple governing bodies, sections, and committees and working groups. The latter two are responsible for policy implementation and building relationships between local governments and associations. Why do you bother voting for your councils and things like that when... All this is above your heads, it's above you, it's out your, it's out your reach for anything, even voting. Never mind complaining. The UCLG's membership consists of cities and national associations of local governments, while the presidency is made up of primarily of mayors. Benjamin Barber believes a parliament of mayors, a parliament of mayors, parliament's a government, folks. Essentially, a borderless democracy can replace the nation's states. Well, he's not just talking off the top of his hat. It's because he's in on the whole big plan, you see. If he's correct, then this is something we should pay attention to. All six organizations understand the power of cities and the impact their mayors can have. And there may be effective forums to engage and inform citizens on issues pertinent to them. Well, there are, because these mayors and so on and all the organizations have massive staffs that, that uh, again, are paid through Bloomberg and other ones who donates lots of cash to them. So sort of NGO groups, you see, uh, the special interest groups, uh, all that's that's their army, you see. Compl- that's the army that goes out and complains to get these things put into into action, and you don't get any saying at all if you don't belong to these groups. And if you do belong to these groups, you have to adopt their policies too, and just be a rah rah, you know, four legs good, two legs bad type of uh, character. Anyway, bring these boys together, let's change. Makers to share ideas, form solutions, and implement policies that are effective on both local and global levels. So that's part of it too. Now these aren't little 
separate things I'm reading here. This, this is the one big mission agenda, the tentacles and all the different areas, you see, all working together. And they're well aware of it, what they're working for, these characters. And they're well aware there's a pyramid of control, just like an army has its, its generals at the top, its field marshals and generals and all the rest, all the way down to the private soldier, the NGO at the bottom. And you'll find this one here too. It's uh, the new covenant of mayors called Mayors in Action Covenant Map. So there's a covenant. What do you think? Have you heard that term before, a covenant, eh? And that means they've sworn on to this thing, you see. They've sworn on to it. And this says here, the covenant of mayors is a mainstream European movement involving local and regional authorities voluntarily committing to increase energy efficiency and use of renewable energy sources on their territories. By their commitment, covenant signatories aim to meet and exceed the European Union's 20% CO2 reduction objective by 2020. Did you know your mayors were involved in all this kind of stuff? Again, isn't it strange they're all, they all have the same global agendas and there's no arguments amongst them and, and, and differences. No, they're all, it's like learning a, a hymn or something. You all sing the same words, isn't it? Rather odd, because after all, a church is organized. Hmm. Another one, again, funded by this big philanthropist, you understand? Uh, Bloomberg is another world Mayor's Council, Global Mayor's Compact, it says, brings unity and ambition to tackling climate change. Mayor's governors, councillors, former mayors, they're all advocating for bold climate action. They're the voice of local governments in the global environmental forums. Click on the labels in the map to see who are the members or visit our membership page. I'll put that up tonight and you can have a, a little deco, as they say, a wee peek at some of them there. And of course, they're not all there because a lot of them they don't want you to know are actually members of it too. And then you've got this one here. The United States Conference of Mayors. Another one, eh? All the same. Agreeing with all these other groups too. Totally, completely. On what must be done and what our great problems are today. Uh, and it's got a... Uh, it's a massive website again. And... Uh, <laughs> you'll find um, they're all, again, connected and getting funding from the same philanthropists again. And I'm sure, too, their bank accounts will swell, I'll bet you anything. Uh, Just like a side effect of it all, you know, that's all it is. And this one article here is to do with United Cities. Now, years ago, I can remember the United Nations came out talking about the need for super cities. And what they did was to go around, again, get all the, the places like Toronto and Canada, they, they had, which had many, many uh, uh, little cities around it. Uh, they wanted them amalgamated, and that's what they did, you see, because it's easier to have one major player in, in, at the head of the whole super city status than have to go over, along and, and kind of empty your pocket, help you know, get all the rest of them on board with you. So that's what they did. Everyone's, this is a strategy. Everyone's a war strategy here, folks. Step by step by step by step, you see. This is only one area, never mind the step conditioning that you've had on your mind. Uh, 
since you were, you were born and your parents before them, for that matter, too. And this one goes to all the different uh, local and regional governments' contributions to the post-2015 agenda. So your tax money is uh, funding them, too. And they go into the world summits they've had, uh, Bogota and different places and so on. And it's the biggest collaboration to accelerate climate action, a compact of mayors. And it gives them their toolkit as they give the, the kind of teacher types to contribute to the UCLG strategic framework. Strategy is what you get in warfare, folks, you see. And big, big plans. And that's what you're living through, a big, big plan. You know, the so-called great work of one group to dominate all the rest of you. Until you'll be unable to even think your way out of it, which a lot of folk have already achieved. <laughs> They're there already. But it's quite interesting all the money that goes into these particular groups. Uh, you're paying for a lot of it. Philanthropists will also date cash too, but they always get some out of it because they also run all the energy and everything else that you need and things, even water supplies and gas supplies. They have the controlling interest and everything. These philanthropists, you see. There's always another side to the story. And then you have uh, Sadler. This is a, a good article here because this is how they demonize you if you're aware of what's going on. And they can make you seem like an absolute clown or even mad, you see. Uh, they slander you in so many different ways. Uh, and here's it says, this is from the Virginia Gazette. It said, Sadler's stand on Agenda 21 is trumpling. Well, I thought there was no Agenda 21. Now they just call it Millennium Project. The United Nations says, stop calling it Agenda 21 because they're on to us. <laughs> it says, there was Sarah Palin uh, citing Wednesday night at Legacy Hall in Newtown. Stonehouse Supervisor candidate Sue Sadler's remarks and answers were so shallow and nonsensical that people were starting to look through the windows for a view of Russia. Speaking of Russia, I asked the voters to go back and review remarks made by Sadler in recent years at Board of Supervisors meetings regarding Agenda 21. What is Agenda 21, you ask? Why, of course, is a Marxist plot being implemented by the James City County? The Board of Supervisors candidate, Sue Sadler, believes that our local governments is part of a vast conspiracy to abolish private property and take away our private vehicles. It's all in Agenda 21. Apparently, she thinks local government is out to force us into high-density public housing and make us use public transportation. She opposes comprehensive planning, sustainable development, regionalism, green space, preservation, zoning, and public recreation because they all are code words for elements of the dreaded Agenda 21. And that's how they put you down. You see, in public, by the mainstream, that's also bought and paid for by the same guys that have the big philanthropic organizations. They help fund a lot of this stuff. And then you have this article here because it says... Bloomberg Philanthropies launches $42 million for What Works Cities initiative. The program is the most comprehensive initiative to help city halls use data and evidence effectively. The goal is to support 100 mid-sized U.S. cities. And so Bloomberg Philanthropies announced the launch of the What Works Cities initiative, $42 million program to help them. Uh, these, these cities better use data and evidence. What Works Cities is the latest initiative from Bloomberg Philanthropies Government Innovation Portfolio, which promotes public sector innovation and spreads effective ideas among cities. 
through partners, uh, Bloomberg Philanthropies will help mayors and local leaders use data and evidence to engage the public, make governments more effective and improve people's lives. We know what they mean by <laughs> they use data to engage the public, is to find ways to indoctrinate the public. <laughs> That's what they mean. Uh, so with populations between 100,000 and 1 million people, and they're un- invited to apply. So this is the, the mayors again, you see. While, mayor, while cities are working to meet new challenges with limited resources, now where's the resources all going? They're not going to essentials only. They're going to all kinds of social programs for all kinds of weird things, folks. And I think you all know that too. This is they have access to more data than ever, and they're increasingly using it to improve people's lives. I wonder who they're improving. Well, maybe we know that too. Said Michael Bloomberg, we'll help them build on their progress and help even more cities take steps to put data to work. What works? That's a question that every city leader should ask, and we want to help them find answers. The $42 million effort is the nation's most comprehensive philanthropic initiative to help accelerate the ability of local leaders to use data and evidence to improve the lives of the residents. Oh, improve. You understand, they're talking from the, the old, and again, everything is a front. Even socialism was a front for another group, folks, and communism. And Agenda 21, a millennium project, is the same thing, folks. It's the same goal. Oh, it's never changed in well over a century. And they're way ahead now. They're, they're pretty well achieved at their ends, in fact, their goals. Anyway, it says here, they want to help you. Now, if you can't decide if you can help yourself or not, and what to do with your life, uh, and you leave it to someone else who, th- who believe they know better uh, how to rule your lives, then good luck to you. On you go. So it says here, the program will help cities create sustainable open data programs and policies that promote transparency and robust citizen engagement. Well, that means the NGOs, folks, not for you. And the NGOs are their armies, it's their marching orders and what to, to push. Better incorporate data into budget, operational and policy decision making. So your, your tax money is being decided by people you don't elect in, by big philanthropists, you see. Conduct low-cost rapid evaluations that allow cities to continually improve programs. Now, which programs is that? And number four, focus funding on approaches that deliver results for citizens. What results are they talking about? You understand that's the typical vague way they'll say something. Across the initiative, Bloomberg Philanthropies will document how cities currently use data and and evidence in decision-making and how this unique program of support helps them advance. Over time, the initiative will also launch a benchmark system which will collect standardized comparable data so that cities can understand their performance relative to peers. What it will do is to standardize uh, everything in every city across the world because this isn't just the U.S., and they do mention states across the country, and mayors, mayors are increasingly relying on data and evidence to deliver better results. And all that rubbish, you see. For example, New Orleans City Hall used data to reduce blighted residences by 10,000 and increased the number of homes brought into compliance by 62% in two years. Now, these same organizations, folks, will be forcing you, your home into compliance with all the different thermal loss and all the rest of it very shortly. And the big meeting has to be signed into law across the planet in December in Paris. 
And when they say, well, you can't live there because, you know, uh, you've got too much heat loss there and you're using too much fuel, and they will, you'll get massive fines and massive taxations until you can't live there at all to get you out. And then you move into the big city, of course, because that is part of Agenda 21. It's an agenda for the whole 21st century. There's so much they have to accomplish this century. And it's not that it'll all be accomplished at the end of the century. You're already living through a lot of it already being accomplished and have been accomplished already, in fact, a lot of it. But the big parts are still to come very shortly. The city's Blight Start program has put New Orleans once behind in efforts to revitalize abandoned and decaying properties at the forefront of national efforts. In New York and other jurisdictions, open data from transit agencies has led to the creation of hundreds of apps that residents now use to get around town. Again, see, they want you to take public transportation. So that woman, Sandler, wasn't nutty at all. Uh, Choose uh, where to live based on uh, commuting times. Provide key transit information to the visually impaired. Oh, you see how wonderful they are. Oh, it's not wonderful. This is and more. I got a laugh, too. Because uh, in Sudbury, it's the city nearest me, there are crosswalks there with the lights on, you know, for, for pedestrians. And once in a while, I'll take them. And uh, you get the beeps starting off, little chirping birds and all that when you're supposed to cross. And you're not halfway across. And it's, then it gives you a countdown, like 15 seconds, 10 seconds. And, and so right down, until you're running at the end to get across. How the heck do all their folk and so on get? Well, they can't. They can't get across in time. This kind of stuff standardizes across the country now. So don't go out. But it's okay, though, you see, because even in Canada, apparently the new government's going to, you know, push in uh, voluntary euthanasia and so on. Anyway, this is Anne Louisville has asked volunteers to attach GPS trackers to their asthma inhalers to see where they have the hardest time breathing. <laughs> so they're on about, they're targeting air pollution, you see. Well, you got to get rid of all these vehicles, folks, and take the bus, you know, the green bus and so on. That's what it's all about. Except for the, 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 except for the philanthropists and their armies of workers who all have big cars driven by chauffeurs. Just like the Soviet Union used to have. Consortium of leading organizations has been assembled to inspire, challenge, and support the cities. These partners will deliver a comprehensive program of support, promoting, testing, and well as innovative new approaches. And this, this part of it is called Results for America, will lead to coordinate uh, the What Works Cities Partner Consortium and advance a nationwide dialogue on need for cities to use data and evidence in decision-making. Never standardize the whole thing. I'll put this up tonight as well, folks. And then this one here, this is applying the Bloomberg Philanthropies approach to drive innovation in cities. Change, you know? Fostering innovation to help mayors solve problems and improve city lives. So that's the main one that's behind so much of it too. And uh, financial empowerment centers and cities of service, innovative teams, and you can look them all up yourself. I'll give you the main link. 
in India, Smart Cities Missions for India too and all these different countries, and Mir's Challenge and what works and so on. But uh, they're, they're spreading bold ideas and their mission is supporting the design and delivery of a city's challenge because they know better how to put, you should live with your life. And everyone in the world should live, in fact, except for their own particular, how would we phrase it? Uh, uh, maybe better not. Anyway, I'll put that up tonight for you as well. And then you have this article too. Uh, I think it's from Bloomberg as well. Results that can be measured, change that can be felt. And Bloomberg Philanthropies draws on Mike Bloomberg's decades of experience as a leader in the public and private sectors to deliver real, meaningful, and lasting change around the world. You're just born for it, you see. Isn't it? I'd like to see what his uh, particular, well, help me know. Learn how we're working to create better, longer lives for the greatest number of people, he says here. Mm-hmm. And they've got governments, innovation, education, arts, environment, public health, founders, projects, and all that. And the size of it's The staff that does all this must be incredible, folks. Incredible. And then we're on to this article here. And Bloomberg again. This is inspiring bold, uh, replicable innovations developed by cities. The Mayor's Challenge is an idea competition that encourages cities to generate innovative ideas that solve major challenges and improve city life and that have the potential to spread to other cities. Well, the whole idea is to make sure that all standardized in the same way. The cities are uniquely uh, positioned to encourage and foster the innovation, creativity, ideas and solutions needed to tackle the pressing social and economic issues facing the world today, as well as meet the challenges of tomorrow. With increasing needs and diminishing budgets, local governments must find innovative new ways to get work done. And that's where the mayor's challenge comes in competition for cities that inspires mayors and their partners to develop breakthrough solutions. And then they go through some of it too. Turning ideas into reality. It's not ideas, folks. These are war plans. And a five million pound grand prize winner as well, too, that I should give you them. Uh, so, so there's big money involved, too, to get them. You know, the mayors, you know, the mayors don't get paid much, you know what I'm saying? And you know what it is. Eh? People go into politics and mayors' positions because they don't want to help here. That's the history of the world, isn't it? Isn't that how, you know, folk who end up ruling you, uh, how they start off? They want to help you. Lots of up tonight, too. George Soros, who's also on board with the same exact agenda, isn't it? All the different aspects of it, the same exact agenda. And I put his wiki on, up on him too. And then Bill and Melinda Gates. Don't forget Rockefeller Brothers, uh, Philanthropies and Ford Foundation, all these ones. They're all on board pushing the same agenda with their massive armies of paid non-governmental organizations. You don't vote any of them in. I keep repeating that because you keep forgetting them, sure. Because you hear their names all the time doesn't mean that they are rightful masters of the world. You don't vote them in. You don't vote. Keep repeating that to yourselves. We don't vote them in. And therefore, they should have no right over you whatsoever in any possible way. 
And it says here, in this article here too, is, is Bill and Melinda Gates. The, the little scarce thing. They don't give you much about Gates, really, do they? It says in 1997, the foundation was formed as the William H. Gates Foundation. During the foundation's following years, funding grew to uh, two billion U.S. dollars. On June 15, 2006, Gates announced his plans to transition out of a day-to-day role with Microsoft, effective, effective July 31st, 2008, to allow him to devote more time to working with the foundation. See, this is his big mission. That's why they set him up, made him very, very rich, in fact. And uh, I'll put this up. It's quite interesting. And two, he's in with Warren Buffett. You know, all the big players, the little names you hear about every so often. So on June 25th, 2006, Warren Buffett, then the world's richest person, so they say, estimated worth of $62 billion as of April 16, 2008, pledged to give the foundation approximately $10 million um, Berkshire Hathaway, it's a corporation, class B shares, spread over multiple years throughout through annual contributions, with the first year's donation of 500,000 shares being worth approximately $1.5 billion. Buffett set conditions so that these contributions do not simply increase the foundation's endowment, but effectively work as a matching contribution, doubling the foundation's annual giving. Buffett's gift came with three conditions for the Gates Foundation. Bill or Melinda Gates must be alive and active in its administration. It must continue to qualify as a charity. And each year it must give away an amount equal to the previous year's uh, Berkshire gift, plus an additional amount equal to 5% of net assets. Buffett gave the Foundation two years to abide by the third requirement. So, they're all on board with the same agenda, and it's a very, very big reason why, folks. Very big reason why. But I don't have time to go into it right now. But at the bottom of this particular thing on Gates, it says, um, the foundation appears to have the following stakes in investments, and anybody who's anybody is part of this. You've got British Petroleum, you've got Coca-Cola, the whole lot, all the usual ones, Exxon, you name it. They're all in there, folks. Never mind, I'm sure, government, uh, uh, again, your tax money uh, as well, and so on and so on. It says the Foundation Trust invest undistributed assets with the inclusive, exclusive goal of maximizing the return on investment. So they're a massive investment group as well. All philanthropic organizations are, of course, naturally, and they're, you know, What's it saying in in the New Testament that uh, whatever you give, the more you'll receive, many fold over? Well, for these characters, it's awfully true, isn't it? Mind you, they're all prophets in some way, aren't they? They always tell you what the future's going to be since they helped rule it on behalf of their masters above them too. They're part of an army, remember, with a ranking system. And all prophets love to profit. And it's a fact. And I'll put this link up as well. And then there's also the one on Michael Rubin's Bloomberg with a bit of his little history here too. And uh, it's, it's quite interesting as all are, but you already understand there's much more that connects these characters than just uh, getting stinking rich. 
much, much more. And as I say, that's, that's basically, uh, do you want to be ruled by charitable organizations, you know, philanthropic organizations? Isn't that, isn't that what the rightful place is to rule you and tell you how to live and what not to say and what you can say and so on? I mean, after all, they've proven their unselfishness, their true altruism to all humankind by pushing an agenda that's going to take all the properties away from private ownership, except the big boys themselves, of course, and put you on to these sustainable cities, smart cities and all that, you see, and, you know, rule you from birth to death. That's if they need you to, to survive, because after all, they might not want you to, to be born if it's not sustainable, you see, they might not need you to, I don't know, work at whatever they've got planned for you to work at. Who knows? Who knows how great minds really think, you see? But they love you, so that's their credentials to rule you. And after all, who needs the vote anymore in a saying anything uh, when you have people who love you? Isn't that enough? Eh? Isn't that enough, folks? And that's how it's all put across to you. And meanwhile, you're still voting for the politicians, thinking they're the big main players. That's quite something, isn't it? The system in which we live. And the, the complete Orwellian style of indoctrination we get until we truly are in the Huxleyan system, as I said in the last few weeks. Remember, folks, you can buy the books and discs I have at cuttingthroughmedias.com. It will help me take along, hopefully, because everybody's using this, including all the top uh, the top talk show hosts and so on. But no one mentions my name or even sends me a dollar from those particular shows and so on. Rather sad, isn't it? Because this has not been, this is not an empire I've got here. But anyway, I never, uh, as I say, started this whole thing off to to become um, a kingpin or anything like that, just to change things, to at least people, give people a chance to know what really is happening. And I have managed to do that too. So buy the books and discs, hopefully, and donate some cash my way. That'll help me and stop me running backwards. From Hamish myself, from Ontario, Canada, it's good night. And may your God or your gods go with you.